Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. A podcast where we delve into the verses of the Quran to connect with the book of Allah, the greatest miracle of our beloved Prophet. I hope that you enjoy and benefit from the content inshallah and like always, please let us know about any feedback regarding this episode. Having said that, let's delve straight into the Tafsir inshallah. We are going to begin the discussion on a new surah of the Quran, and that is Suratul Haqqah, which is the 69th surah of the Quran. We'll start, inshallah, as we normally do when we begin the new surahs. We'll start with the fadila or the reward of recitation of the surah, where it was revealed, a little bit of context regarding the surah. And then afterwards, we will move on and delve into the surah itself. So when you look at the contents of the surah, it's very clear that the surah was revealed in Mecca. We've mentioned this before that the surahs that were revealed in Mecca, they are surahs that normally talk about the fundamentals of the Islamic faith. They talk about Tawheed, they talk about the prophethood of the prophet, and they speak about the day of judgment. And Suratul Haqqa, a good portion of it in fact has to do with the events that take place on the day of judgment. Therefore, it's quite easy for most of the Mufassireen and most scholars to easily point out that Suratul Haqqa was in fact revealed in Mecca. When you look at the ahadith that we have as it relates to the reward of the recitation of this surah of the Quran, you will find different ones. One that is mentioned in Thawabul A'mal of Shaykh al-Saduq is this, that the hadith says that the one who recites Suratul Haqqa often the accounting that is done for him on the day of judgment, it becomes easier for him. You know that part of the punishment of the day of judgment for a wrongdoer, part of the punishment on the day of judgment for a sinner takes place while they are awaiting judgment or while the accounting is being done for their good or bad deeds. We have multiple ahadith about this. For example, it's mentioned that the heat on that day is such that a person who was a wrongdoer, just while he is waiting for them to account for his sins, he sweats and he sweats, for example. And the heat is very severe. And we have other hadith that speak about the punishment on that day of the sinner. And many of these punishments, in fact, take place while the person is awaiting judgment. That's why you might have heard a hadith from the Prophet or his family about a group of people who will be under the shadow or in fact the shade that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides for certain groups of people on that day. What that means is that most of the people or at least some people, they will be under this heat. Yes? And then there will be some other people, certain groups with certain characteristics who will be under this shade. This is happening while the accounting and the hisab is taking place. Therefore, Suratul Haqqa as the hadith says, if someone recites it, one of its thawabs, one of its rewards, is that on that day, the, the essentially the accounting of the person, while it's done, the good and bad deeds are accounted for, this becomes easier for this person. We've mentioned this multiple times before as it relates to the ahadith that we have about the rewards of reciting certain surahs. We said that reciting different surahs of the Quran, technically we shouldn't even need this hadith or that hadith to be an incentive to us to recite the Qur'an, 
the Quran reciting it, just the fact that it reminds you of the day of judgment should be enough of an incentive. But these rewards, of course, are there, and they are great rewards, but we can't take every hadith that's mentioned about every surah at face value. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can't take every hadith that's mentioned about the reward of every surah, the recitation of every surah, at face value. We've had a discussion on this before, so I won't go into too much depth and detail here. If you come across certain hadith, and they mention things along these lines, that if, this, if a person recites this surah, for example, he will definitely enter into heaven. On the day of judgment, he will definitely be with the Ahlul Bayt. If we look at these ahadith and we take them in a literal sense, then our understanding may not be the correct understanding. The human being, at the end of the day, whether he recites a surah or he doesn't recite a surah, he has free will to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he has his free will until the final moments of his death come. And if we take a hadith that says, if a person recites this surah, for example, that his aqibah would be a good aqibah, his fate will be a good fate. And what we understand by this is that if you recite this surah, you'll definitely enter into heaven. We can't understand any hadith to mean that in that literal sense. Yes, can we understand it in the sense that there is a likelihood you will enter into heaven? Can we understand it in the sense that if you recite this surah, it will push you towards characteristics that can put you into heaven. Yes, this all of this makes sense. But we have to be careful how we understand these ahadith. And the reason for this is because many of the ahadith that we have, as it relates to the rewards that have to do with the recitation of surahs of the Quran. And in general, the ahadith that we have when it comes to tafsir of the Quran, I can say very easily that some of them, their chains are not strong chains. By chains, we're referring to the chains of narrators. Meaning that when you look at the individuals who have narrated these ahadith, and which books these ahadith have been narrated from, when a hadith is narrated from the Ahlul Bayt, it goes through books that their companions used to write. And of course, it wasn't books like we have today. It might have been maybe five pages, ten pages, twenty pages, a treatise put together, yes? When they narrate these ahadith from these books, many times you will go back to these books, and these books may not be the most reliable of books for us. So we have to be very careful, especially when we come across ahadith that mention very, very handsome and very, very great ahadith for the recitation of one surah or another surah. Some of these are very well known and they're very reliable. Some of them we have to be careful about. So this is a general point to keep in mind, specifically as it relates to the ahadith that have to do with the reward of the recitation of this surah or that surah. This is one of those places where you will find many weak ahadith at times. So what does this mean if I come across a hadith that says, if you recite this surah, there's this reward for it, then what am I supposed to do? Well, you shouldn't have to rely on that hadith only to recite this surah, yes? Number one. Number two, there is a chance that the hadith is a reliable one at the same time. Therefore, this should not stop you and discourage us from the recitation of the verses of the Qur'an. And we do know that the recitation of the Qur'an has a great reward. Now, is it this one particular one that's mentioned in this hadith, for example? Maybe, maybe not. But is there a great reward for it? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So moving on and now getting into Surah Al-Haqqa itself. If you pay attention to the first three verses of Surah Al-Haqqa, you will find 
a style very similar to the style that you find in other parts of the Quran. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to speak of a concept that you and I are not very familiar with. We don't know what it is exactly. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will use a three-level or three-step method to bring up this concept and this, this phenomenon really. So the first thing he'll do is he'll mention the name of that phenomenon. That's the first thing that he'll do. Second thing he will do is that he will ask you what that phenomenon is, which is a way of grabbing your attention to tell you, do you know what this is? This is encouraging you to ask yourself, I don't know what this is. What is it? And the third step being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then comes back. Sometimes he will describe what it is. But the third step is that he will tell you, listen, this is a concept. Even if we try to explain it to you, you might understand some parts of it here or there. You won't understand it fully. And this is what we find in Surah Al-Haqqah. So verse number one says, Al-Haqqah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning this phenomenon. Which phenomenon is this? Al-Haqqah comes from haqq. It comes from truth. It means the truthful event. The truthful incidents, the incidents that will definitely take place, it is inevitable for it to take place. Okay, it says al-haqa, this grabs your attention. And then second step is this, mal-haqa, what is this haqa we're talking about? This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encouraging you to pay attention because now he wants to describe what this is. The third step, and of course he will have some description later on in the surah, but the third step is that he says, How would you ever be able to fully understand what haqqa is? This three-step method is something that you also find in other verses of the Qur'an. You find it, for example, in Surah Al-Qari'ah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts out and he says, Al-Qari'ah, the, the, the very heavy events, the heavy incidents, and then he says, What is this event? And how would you be able to fully understand what qari'ah is? So you see the same three steps that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking here. And of course, in the next verse in Surah Al-Qari'ah, he starts to explain what this qari'ah is, right? He says, On that day, human beings will be scattered all over and the punishment will be coming down. So he does describe it. But at the same time, he just said, you won't fully understand it. So he'll try to explain it to you a little bit, but you may not fully be able to understand it. You also have this with the night of Qadr. Yes, How would you understand what Laylatul Qadr is? But let me tell you a little bit. Laylatul Qadr khayrun min It's better than a thousand nights or a thousand months. But will you be able to fully understand it? Will, will there be anything that will help you fully comprehend what this concept is? No. So this is what we find with Surah Al-Haqqah as well. These three steps. First he mentions it and you hear this word, say Haqqah. And then he says, Mal Haqqah, what do you think Haqqah is? This word that I just mentioned. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now with this repetition of this word, he now has the attention of the human being. Because now the human being is thinking, what is this haqqah? What is this inevitable event? What is this event that is so truthful it will definitely take place? And how would you ever understand what haqqah truly is? 
Now, like I said, just because we don't fully understand what the day of judgment is like, doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't tell us anything about it. Later on in the verses of the Quran, he will go into what this day of judgment kind of looks like. So he's going to describe it for us. But that description, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that that's not going to be enough. That will not be able to fully deliver what this phenomenon and what this event is going to be like. Okay. So he starts out like this. How would you know what this is? And then he starts out like this. This is verse number four. Says, let me tell you first what we did to those people who denied this haqqa. Those who denied this day of judgment. But this time he changes the name of the Day of Judgment. He calls it Al-Qari'ah. Qari'ah meaning that very severe event. Uh, essentially when you smash something, when you use a, use a hammer to smash something, this is similar to what they use in Arabic, the word Qari'ah for. Yes? The very heavy event, the very heavy incident, referring to the Day of Judgment. Why is it that out of the different tribes that we have out there, the different aqwam that the Qur'an speaks about, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these two in particular? Thamud and Ad, they come up together quite a bit in different surahs of the Qur'an. If you remember the tafsir of Surah Fussilat when we were doing it, you remember the Thamud and Ad came up as well. And the reason for this is because both Thamud, and Ad, Thamud being the people of Salih alayhi salam, and Ad being the people of Hud alayhi salam. Both of them belong to the Arabian Peninsula, based on the opinions of the Mufassirin. Thamud say, Mufassirin say that Thamud belong to the northern area of the Arabian Peninsula, and Ad, whose prophet was Hud, belonged to the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. So these were places that maybe even at that time, the Arab knew from stories, from traditions, from stories that were passed on heart to heart, they might have even known at that time where they used to live. And of course, when Mufassirin say that these people lived in the Arabian Peninsula, the north or the south, it's based on the discoveries that are done today of a possibility of there being villages and cities where people used to live there. The reason why we say the Arab of that time, they could have known where these people used to live is because in other verses of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you pass by their villages and their cities. You see the cities and villages that they used to live in. And so this gives you a sense that the Arab of that time knew where these people were living. They probably knew from stories and traditions or they had heard that these tribes lived in this area or that area. Of course, they would have been, they would have been isolated in deserted areas at this point after the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was sent upon them. Now he's going to start explaining what happened to Thamud and what happened to Ad. Before I get into this description, here's a question that we always have to ask when it comes to the verses of the Qur'an. Whenever we recite the verses of the Qur'an, obviously, our main concern has to, has to be, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to the society I am living in, to the time I am living in, to the, uh, you know, to the community that I am living in? And so a question we have to pose here is this, 
if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about all of these different tribes, whether it's Thamud or it's Ad or the other tribes, the, the Qawm of Nuh, for example, and other prophets, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about these other tribes and the punishments that were sent down upon them, the question is, how does this relate to you and me today? Is the society that I live in also prone to this type of punishment? Or would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never send this type of punishment upon the society and the community that I live in? And if He would never do that, why is that the case? What happened to these tribes? What happened to these societies that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrath, His wrath was sent down upon them versus the society that I live in where people might even sin. People, there's quite a bit of evil that goes on within the society that we live in. And still we don't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending down any punishment. Why is it that He dealt with those tribes in that way that He sent down these severe punishments well, which, which we will go through in just a second but when it comes to a society that we live in, a society that we describe many times as an evil society, as a society that we describe many times that consists of so much oppression, so much injustice, whether it's this society or other societies throughout the world, why is it that the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not sent down upon people the way it was sent down upon Ad and Thamud and tribes of that type and of that nature? How come Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't send a flood uh, the way He sent it for the people of Nuh? And if we delve into the answer to this question, then we will understand how these verses of the Qur'an relate to us. Because yes, we read in the verses of the Qur'an that He sent this punishment upon Ad and Thamud and all these different people. But if the punishment is not coming down towards me, then I have to ask why? Because I live in a society where there's a lot of evil that takes place. I live in a society where there's a lot of injustice that takes place. What happened with these tribes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the punishment in this way? That's the first question. Second question is this. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send down this type of punishment, if He doesn't send down a flood, if He doesn't send down an earthquake or lightning, as is the case with Thamud, if He doesn't send a storm and this wind that will kill people, as is the case with Ad. Does that mean he's okay with everything that's happening in society? If this type of punishment does not come, does that mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely fine with everything that's happening? How does this relate to my personal life? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send a punishment to remove a whole tribe, does that mean that the good people or the bad people within that tribe, that what they do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might still send a punishment specifically for them instead of wiping out this whole tribe? These are questions that we have to delve into and that we will delve into today, inshallah. So hold on to that because that's really the key. And if we don't find an answer to these questions, many verses of the Qur'an may not seem relatable to us. Many verses of the Qur'an may not seem to relate to us. Okay, I get it. There were these tribes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent these punishments. But how does that relate to me? And more importantly, how does that relate to the society that I live in that, like I said, consists of quite a bit of evil? So hold on to that. We're going to discuss that in just a second. For now, the Qur'an in these couple of next verses is going to talk about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wiped out these tribes. And then we'll delve into the answer to those questions. And also keep this point in mind that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of wrath, He speaks of this anger and so on and so forth, 
does this mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God forbid, he gets jealous, for example? Does it mean, God forbid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gets angry and he sends his punishments? Or are there other reasons why these punishments are sent? That's a point that we have to keep on to or hold on to. We will get to that later on in the verses of the Quran. So, verse number five says this, فَأَمَّا ثَمُودُ فَأُهْلِكُوا as it relates to Thamud, they were punished through a lightning in an earthquake that was Taghia. Taghia comes from Tughyan, Taghut. These all come from the same root word. And this refers to someone who oversteps their boundaries. When it refers to the human being, it means the human being who was told not to do something and then he does it. He's overstepping his boundaries. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to natural phenomenon with this or phenomena with this uh, terminology, الطاغية, meaning that this wind that normally has a function, now it goes beyond this function. And you see, wind normally, it it's like a breeze, for example, or it comes, but it doesn't wipe out people. But then if it goes beyond that, then it becomes fierce. Yes? Then it becomes severe. Then it's going beyond the normal boundaries that it has. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to it as الطاغية. But the same word of taghiya is used for the human being as well, right? The Quran speaks about the human being, yatqa, that the human being oversteps his boundaries. There is a very beautiful point as we go through these verses, we will point it out. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws comparison between the overstepping of the human being and the overstepping of this natural phenomenon. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala links these two to one another. That when the human being oversteps its boundaries, then we send natural phenomena that also oversteps its boundaries. This natural phenomena, whether it's, it is storm, for example, rain, it's not so normally supposed to create a flood that wipes out a whole people. But then if a group of people overstep, then this flood, this rain will turn into an overstepping type of rain. Yes, it will turn into more than what it normally is. Same thing with wind. Same thing, for example, with lightning. Lightning shows up. It doesn't wipe out a whole people, a whole tribe, for example. But if the human being oversteps, then the natural phenomenon also oversteps. We'll get to that in just a second. As it relates to Thamud, this is how they were punished. As it relates to Ad, who we said are the people of Hud, they were punished by a cold wind, but of course a wind that now takes on the form of a storm now, that was continuously blowing upon them, a cold wind. It was very fierce and severe. And then the Quran explains, how did this happen? سخرها عليهم سبع ليال for seven nights وثمانية أيام and for eight days Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this storm upon them which shows you the wrath that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had upon these people because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can wipe out a group of people in one second or two seconds He can wipe out a group of people in one day let's say for example why seven days? Why seven nights and eight days as the verses of the Qur'an says? Because there is a connection between the severity of your sin and the severity of the punishment that is sent down upon you. 
This is a real connection between natural phenomena and your actions. It's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just decides that this person will be punished in three days, this one will be punished in four days. No, there is a connection between natural phenomena and my deeds. This is a connection that might be hidden to us, but the Qur'an speaks of this connection. That's why in other verses of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَكُلًّا أَخَذْنَا بِذَنْبِهِ Each group of these tribes that we wiped out, we don't choose their punishment haphazardly. It's not arbitrary. It's not like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just decides how their punishment comes. No, it depends on their sins. Depends on what type of sins they have. Depending on the type of sin, that is the type of natural phenomena that will be sent to them as a punishment. So if you find a severity in the natural phenomena that is used for punishment, that ties in with the severity of their sins and the type of sins that these persons, that these individuals had committed. Different groups and different tribes, they were, they got, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got rid of them in different ways. Yes, the people of Fir'aun in one day, in one way, the people of Thamud in one way, the people of Ad in one way, the people of Nuh in one way, just depending on how, it, how their sinning is and the severity of their sins. There is a connection between these two. When you come and see what happens after these seven nights and eight days that this severe storm is blowing upon them, you will find these individuals who used to act so strong and used to act so tough, now you will come and see their corpses lying on the ground. Now they are like the trunks of palm trees. Have you seen before sometimes where you see, for example, a, a, a palm tree or a palm uh, a ranch that had palm trees in it, for example? Yes, that is now set on fire. You will see the trunks that are just lying on the ground, for example. They've been burnt down and now they're just, they're, they have fell on the ground. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the same way you see a trunk of a palm tree that's just falling there in the corner, it's just lying there in the corner, it is lifeless, this is how you will see their bodies. This is complete domination of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you see that he doesn't shy away from it. This Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who says, I am the most merciful of the merciful, he's the same one who's saying these. And so we have to see how these two are compatible with one another. Because they are compatible with one another. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the most merciful of the most merciful, he draws the line at one point. And that one point is the one who knowingly turns away from his message. And even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him an opportunity over and over and over and over again, he continues to disobey until a point comes where there is no chance that this person will accept the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is where there is no more mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no more mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very severe with such an individual. Of course, we very rarely do, do we ever come across such an individual in our day-to-day -day life. Very, very rarely will you ever come across an individual like, like this, with this character. But this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws the line. 
فترى القوم فيها صرعا كأنهم أعجاز نخل خاوية فهل ترى لهم من باقية This is the complete domination of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Do you see any type of remainder of them? Do you even see them around anymore? Do you see people talking about them? Are they even important anymore? Does anyone even care about them? Does anyone even care about their kingdom and their villages and their cities? No, they're gone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying a person who turns away from the message knowingly, not unknowingly, knowingly, the message is presented to him, and he knowingly turns away from it over and over and over again, then when it comes to a point where this person no longer has a way to come back, he himself has closed the door to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has done this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not turned away from him. He has closed the door now. This is where the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no longer has any meaning for this individual because he himself has closed that door. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws the line because he has chosen this for himself. This is where the complete domination of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to show itself. Because this person, from the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he reaches this point, which might take years and years, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send him sign after sign after sign, this person, he no longer has any use for this world. No longer has any use for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is to be removed from this world. Doesn't play any role in this world anymore. The only thing is, while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is removing him, he will make a lesson out of him for the rest of the people, so that the rest of the people who have a shot at being good, so that they learn from this individual. And that is why, as the saying goes, in this life, either you learn from the lessons of others, or you become a lesson for others. Yes? That is the reality of the, of the world that we live in. Do you see any type of remainder from them? Now going back to those questions that we had posed at the very beginning, why is it that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent these, sent these heavy punishments on these people, and you know the floods came, and the, the lightning came, and the earthquake, earthquake came, and the, you know, the storm came, and so on and so forth, why is it that societies that we live in today, that are definitely full of injustices, full of evil at times, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send his punishment upon these societies? The answer to this question is this. We have to differentiate between two types of punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down upon somebody. The first type of punishment is more specific. It is more individual. Yes, it is case by case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down a disease for someone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down, for example, a punishment for a specific person. Yes, this will always happen. There's nothing that stops Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from this. Yes, this will always be there. This is something that even if you and I don't pay attention to our sins, we sin and we don't do istighfar. If someone does istighfar, then they should be fine. But if they don't do istighfar, then the punishment can come to you and me. Will it be a flood? No, not necessarily. It might be a punishment that only affects me personally, for example. This type of punishment will always happen. The other type of punishment that the Qur'an speaks about here or there, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes out a whole tribe, He wipes out a whole group of people. There are certain elements, there are certain conditions that have to be met, number one. And then there are certain things that definitely should not happen. 
You have two sets of conditions, conditions that need to take place and conditions that need to be avoided by these group of people for them to become worthy of this type of punishment. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of this type of punishment in the Quran so much. Because if a society reaches this point, which we haven't described yet, we'll have to go through these conditions. If the society reaches this point, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what He will do, He will save maybe the 5% or 10% of mu'minin that are in this family or in this tribe, and He will get rid of the rest. But what are those conditions that have to be met? And the first condition that I will mention, and by mentioning this first one, you will realize why the societies that we live in today, this type of punishment is not sent down upon them. The first and most important of punishments, uh, of conditions, before this punishment is sent, is that the people within the society, they have to have heard the truth, they have to have had the message preached to them in a clear and obvious way. The society that we live in, can someone claim that the truth has been presented to them clearly and very obviously and in a very uh, clear manner? No, no one can claim that. You say, oh, well, you know, Shaykh, the internet is around. And yes, the internet has taken Islam and portrayed an even worse portrait of Islam today. Many people who use the internet, in fact, look at Islam even worse than they might have used to before. Why? Because of all this propaganda that's there. When you look at the society that you are living in, the communities that you are living in, of course, when I speak about communities, I mean outside of the Muslim community, the society that we live in does not know the truth about these religions. So many people out there don't know what Islam truly preaches. So many people out there don't know what this message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. You say so many people are turning away from religion, which is very true. Statistics Though at the same rate would they be turning away from God, there is a difference between these two. There's a difference between turning away from religion and turning away from God. 60-70% of individuals who turn away from organized religion, whether it's Islam, Christianity, you know, uh, Judaism, when I say turn away, meaning they don't believe in these religions, 60-70% of them still believe in a greater power in this world. Believing in God is one thing. Believing in an organized religion is a different thing. But you might say, well, Sheikh, people are turning away from organized religions today. Yes? But how many of these people know the truth of what religion is actually supposed to be? Say, oh, well, they know about Christianity. They know about Judaism. They know about these different religions that are out there. Well, yes. But does Christianity, for example, have the fundamentals to satisfy the need that the human being has towards religion? If it did, would Islam ever be even sent down to the human being? When you look at Christianity, for example, I'll just point out one point. With our respect for all of the religions out there, but of course this is a deeper discussion and a longer discussion, I will just point out this point. Just the way you look at God, which is you know the very beginning of what Christianity or any religion really would be about. Any religion that speaks of a creator, of course, yes? Just the way you picture God in the Christian faith, that is where you have serious issues. And these were issues that the Quran had to point out and clear out for many people, yes? 
So it's wrong to expect people to have a good understanding or a good relationship with religion when what is presented to them, for example, as in the case of Christianity, has major issues just in the way you present God, just in the way you think about God. And this is one of the greatest blessings of Islam. This is a separate topic, inshallah. We'll have a presentation on this soon, inshallah. But this is one of the greatest blessings of Islam. Just the way it portrays Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to us. Just the way it speaks of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to us. We take it for granted because growing up, you know, they would tell us to memorize the 99 names of Allah. You know, Allahul Muta'al and Muhaymin and He is Qawiyul Azizul Kabir and He is this and He is this. as al Basir. These names we hear before, you know, they, they give Adhan in the month of Ramadan. Our understanding of God is a, 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 an entity that is limitless. He's unlimited, yes? He is unlike anything you would ever be able to think of. That is not the understanding within other faiths. And Christianity, for example, being you know, the, the number one faith in terms of the number of people who uh, have that faith and believe in it, you can't expect people to have a good relationship with religion if at the very start your understanding of God is a human-like understanding. That's going to create problems. That's going to create a lot of issues. Then you go to the holy books that are provided within this religion. The book that is said to be inspired by God, then you'll have a, a number of issues there. So for us to sit here and say, yes, society knows about the truth. Look, they are committing so many sins. Well, there's many people who don't even know these are sins. And there's more to be said about this. I won't go into more, much detail. But many of the sins today that we point at and we say these are sins that the human being knows fundamentally that they are a sin and that they should stay away from it. Many times we say this because we have Islam as this blessing. Islam has told us that A, B, C, and D are sins. But if we had grown up in environments where Islam was not there for us, even you and I wouldn't have been so sure that, for example, this type of a lifestyle is an evil lifestyle. This deed, for example, is an evil deed. No, many of these things we know because of Islam. Because Islam has made it so clear to us. Yes? So the first condition for a group of people or a society to even qualify for this type of punishment is what? Is that they all hear the truth and the truth is presented to them clearly. Has that happened, for example, in the societies that you look around in the world? Definitely not. Definitely not. In the majority of them, you can say that that is not the case. Oh, we have the internet. Yes? No one, there's no one that we can't reach anymore. Go and take a look at how many people actually have access to internet. That's actually an interesting point to think about. Go and take a look at some of the statistics that tell you how many people today have access to the internet. But even if you do, does the internet really show you the truth of these messages and these religions? The reality is that that is not the case at all. And therefore, this is the first condition. There are two more conditions that have to apply that we will talk about, inshallah. Because if you don't understand these, then you might look at the verses of the Quran and say, oh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's pretty cruel. These people, look at how he wiped them out. It's not that simple. You have to look at the whole context. What took place for these people that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wiped them out? And then putting all of that aside, how does that apply to my society and my life today? Inshallah, with that, we'll bring tonight's talk to an end. We didn't get to cover all the way to where we wanted to cover, but next week, we will continue from this part exactly. What are the two other conditions that have to take place for a group of people 
if punishment is going to be sent down upon them, this type of punishment where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes out them, wipes them out totally and completely. And then what are the four things that as long as those four things are there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send that punishment. There are four things that as long as they are happening, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send down the punishment. And if those four things do not happen, the people do not do those four things, then the punishment will then come. With that, inshallah, I'll bring tonight's talk to an end. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.